Welcome to the show, everyone. Today we have Sophia Samara as our guest. Welcome, Sophia. It is so wonderful to have you. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's get started by um, first tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from in the country. Yeah, well, so I'm from Los Angeles. That's where I was born and raised. Um, but my family is obviously not from here. But my dad is Palestinian, born and raised in the Middle East. And my mom is Italian and white, but mostly Italian. So, and she was raised here in California as well. And I'm a photographer and a videographer and I travel a lot, but that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky. That's amazing. So can you explain to me a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> Growing up in my house and to this day, it is like politics every day. Nothing is off the table. Like we talk about everything and sometimes, like, people come over and they're like, you guys talk about this shit at the dinner table? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we do. But, you know, growing up, um, my dad is Palestinian Muslim man. He raised us as Muslims. And you can't see because this is a podcast, but I'm doing, like, air quotes because the man never taught me anything about Islam aside from like, you don't eat pork and you don't drink alcohol, except for he drank alcohol and ate pork every day. But <laughs> <laughs> we're Muslim. Um, and then my mom, she was raised like very Catholic until maybe like her teenage years. And so she didn't really raise us with any kind of religion. And so, you know, in that ways we didn't grow up like with like a traditional religious structure. But culturally, I always felt like I was Palestinian and not like I was like I, I always felt like I was more like my dad and not like my mom because I look like my dad. And when you are half white and half something else, something else is what people see. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Typically. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, I know you get it. <laughs> yeah. And so after after 9-11, it was really hard to be an Arab Muslim kid in the United States. I mean, it was very difficult. And there were many years that I, I flat out lied about my ethnicity. But I was one of two Arab kids in my school. And everybody else was, it was predominantly white. There was like a large amount of Latino kids and a very like sizable amount of Asian kids. And like, practically no Arabs and very few black folks in my school. And so growing up in that kind of like an environment, it's just like, I was just like self-preservation. And so I would lie. I would say I was just Italian, which that's not true because Samara is not an Italian name <laughs> and you don't look Italian. Um, I remember one time very specifically, I lied and said I was Brazilian because I just felt like it was a place that people wouldn't question like nobody knew anything about Brazil and the second I said it someone was like no you're not and I was like damn it is it gonna work <laughs> right through me so can you tell me a little more specifically about when like what type of situations were you in where you felt like you had to um, speak about your race 
in particular? Uh, yeah, I remember the very first day. It was September 12, 2001, uh, the day after 9-11. And my mom had called the school on, on 9-11, like maybe after school hours or maybe the morning after, like the morning before. And she was like, I am very concerned. I have two Arab kids in a school with no other Arabs. Like, like, are, do I have a reason to be concerned? Are my kids going to be okay? And the school is like, Miss Samara, it is okay. Everything will be fine. This is a safe place, a safe school. And then she's like, okay, the school has assured me. And she takes me to school. And I'm standing in line, like, ready to go to class. And this little piece of shit kid, his name was Michael, he looks at me and he goes, you're a terrorist. You terrorist. And I'm standing there, what am I, nine, ten years old? And I'm like, at a loss for words. I'm like, I don't understand. I'm a child. But there was one girl, the only black girl in the class. Her name was Myla, is Myla. And uh, she stuck up for me. I'm, I'm pretty sure she pushed him. But I'm not gonna say she did. Because you know, we don't we're not condoning any violence, even though he 100% deserved it. But she pushed him. And she was like, don't say that shit. Or don't well, I didn't say shit. But she probably was like, don't say that. And I didn't know this girl at all. And I was just like, oh, my God, she stuck up for me, um, which, of course, she did, because that was probably something she related to. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Like, she was like, oh, she's getting picked on because of, like, who she is as a person. That's something I've experienced. And there's a very happy end to the story. She is still my best friend. Oh, was that your first interaction with her? No, I had known who she was the year before right. because we all played like little kids soccer and she was the best soccer player of all the little kids soccer players uh, because she was a little bit more like quote unquote aggressive, but she wasn't aggressive. She was just a good, she was just a better soccer player. And all of the like white moms were like, ah, that's Myla. She's aggressive. Now, of course, in my like eight year old like self, I didn't know all the reasons why that was like not great because she was like the only little black girl playing soccer and now they're calling her aggressive but I knew who she was and then she did that and I was like I fuck with this bitch I love her so I mean I'm sure my nine-year-old self wasn't thinking of it that way but yeah we've been best friends for 20 plus years at this point that is amazing so yeah that was like the first time I ever really was like oh who you are isn't isn't good that's a really uncomfortable feeling for a nine-year-old. Yeah, I know. Especially after such a, a traumatic national event. That is such a difficult thing for a nine-year-old to have to navigate an experience. And I'm so sorry that you had to. Yeah, it was definitely unpleasant. I think one of the things, though, that was really difficult about it was, like, I didn't know, like, at all that there was that there was anything like that. Like, I think, like, at least this is an assumption, but I would assume that, like, other people of color, maybe their parents have a conversation with them at, like, a certain age where their parents are like, listen, like, some people are just going to be mean to you or they're not going to be nice to you because of what you look like. And, like, I don't know if that happens, but I didn't get that. And I don't think my parents knew that it was necessary. And if they did think it was necessary they probably thought it was necessary later on in life. Right. Well, I can tell you from, from my experience, I was never told. Really. No. My upbringing 
I was raised by my mom and mm-hmm. my stepdad and my sister's father, and they are all Caucasian, and I'm oh, half okay. American, and I was never told or taught how to navigate those questions. I had to kind of figure it out on my own. I don't think that my mom and my dad ever even really thought about it because I'm theirs, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think that that is something that everybody, I, I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but that mm-hmm. that's not something I, I had had a conversation with my mom about or my dad prior to entering the world. <laughs> I've had I've had a few friends tell me that they had those kind of conversations with their their parents, especially okay. growing up in like Southern California. I've had a few of like Mexican or Latina friends tell me like that their parents kind of had to explain to them like this is the way that like you might be treated in certain situations. But right. I wonder if it's because they aren't mixed. Like they're 100% Hispanic. Right. So I wonder if it's, you know, maybe maybe when things get mixed, you kind of start to see things through, like, your privileged partner's eyes. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I also was raised, I feel like I might be a little bit older, <laughs> and I was raised in the 80s and the 90s. So I don't think okay. then being biracial or of mixed race was as common so I, I I always use the reference when the world happened to me. It was once I entered school and okay. you know, then I got questioned and I didn't know how to answer them. And I'm sure my, my parents weren't aware either. But I think this is a, a great opportunity to have these conversations mm-hmm. because we need to equip or help help parents or people of mixed race know how to navigate these situations when the world happens to to us. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it because it takes the blame or the guilt off of the person that is experiencing, you know, the the racism or the discrimination right. or whatever it may be. And it just says like, this is the world in which you live and the risk and it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to like figure it out. Yes, absolutely. Hi, I'm Rachel Go. It is my mission in life to help people like you learn to love every aspect of themselves in order to attain the life of their dreams. If you are ready to live a life free of fears and land that dream job or go travel the world or whatever your dreams may be, message me at coachrachelgo at gmail.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G-O at gmail.com. Or find me on Instagram at liveempoweredNow. There's nothing more powerful than loving the person you see in the mirror every day because courage starts within. And the fact that we are of mixed race is actually pretty cool. I mean, I love it. Okay, good. I, I was just yeah. going to ask, what is your favorite 
aspect or perspective of being of mixed race? Um, okay, so there's two things. I love the food. Oh, yes. my God. I mean, <laughs> listen, I know we all have our personal preferences and stuff, but I do believe that Italian and Arabic food is the best food. And uh. like, you can't convince me otherwise. But, I mean, <laughs> that's me. So I think that I'm really very fortunate that I have a mom who can cook killer Italian food and yes. a dad who can cook killer Arabic food. And now I can do both. Very, oh, that's very amazing. Well. Yeah. So I, I just, I love the food aspect of it. It just feels yes. so good. Yes. Uh, especially like finding the things in the food that kind of are similar in each other. Like for instance, as an Italian Arab girl, olive oil is just like a part of my identity. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just coming out of my pores. I just am oozing olive oil and <laughs> It's just a part of me, and I don't think there's anyone else who can claim olive oil the way I can, because I'm <laughs> Italian and Palestinian. We literally invented the olive tree. Right, So, right. yeah, I just, I love the food aspect of it, and then I also love the ability to, like, have two cultures, like, create a new one. So, like, I can mix something Italian and something Arab and mix it together, and now it is this, like... Italian thing because it's half Palestinian, <laughs> half Italian. <laughs> I think that that is amazing. I mean, I keep saying that being biracial is a superpower. Yeah, and it, it truthfully, it it is. I mean, you are. I'm really, really impressed with how well you are embracing both sides of you, both cultures, and I. I'm extremely curious about your household and your upbringing. And did you find, especially now, reflecting back on your childhood, have you found that there was a, a mesh between both cultures in your household out, outside of the food? You know, it's kind of funny. My mom did not know she was in an interracial marriage until relatively recently. What? Um, yeah, <laughs> Wait, I know. What? I know, I know. When she told me this, I was like, okay, mom, go look in the mirror and then look at your husband and tell me if you think you guys are cut from the same cloth because I, I'm not understanding. But she, she was raised in the 60s, right? So back in the 60s in school, they taught that there was three races, black, Asian, and white which meant oh. everybody who wasn't Asian and wasn't black just got defaulted into white, which is done by design. There's a reason for that, but That's it's inaccurate. Yeah. And so when she met my dad, she kind of just assumed he was a lot like her with a tan, which no mom, no, but not because she's like a bad person. It's just like, she just didn't know. She didn't know any better. That was, that was what she was taught. Exactly. It was what she was taught. And it wasn't until actually, the Trump election, when people were talking so much about identity and politics and everything that goes into, you know, racism and discrimination and all of this stuff that she had to kind of like have a reckoning with like her place in this country as a white woman with non-white children and a white husband. And, you know, she's never been racist. She's never discriminated against anybody, but she was a little bit ignorant about the realities of her own children's and her own husband's like experience. So interesting. 
yeah, she didn't really know until recently. <laughs> was So this was something that she just kind of came around to on her own? It wasn't a conversation or a comment that somebody else had had? It was her self-reflection, essentially? It was, it was a bit of self-reflection. Well, it was a lot of self-reflection for sure because she brought the subject up to me. But I think the thing that, that kind of like put the thought in her head is I'm very active on social media and I'm constantly posting about, you know, like Palestine and politics and like um, advocating for disenfranchised people. And I always say, as a woman of color, as a woman of color, as a woman of color. And my mom was like, she's a woman of color? What? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, ma, like, <laughs> I am. <laughs> You're not, I am. And she's just like, huh. And I think that like kind of got the wheel spinning. And, and again, it's not because she's like a, a bad person. She just like literally didn't know. And now she does. And she's like, it's so funny. She like looks back on things that have happened like in the past 30 years of her marriage. And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, oh I'll, I'll tell you the funniest story. So my brother, he was born. And something that happens with biracial babies is sometimes they have blue spots on their bum. Right. And my brother was born with blue spots on his bum because he's biracial. And <laughs> my mom kind of was like freaked out when she saw him. She thought that maybe like the nurses patted his bum too hard to get him to cry right. when he first came out. And she asked the doctor, like, why is his bum like that? And the doctor said very, you know, like matter of factly, oh, it's because he's mixed. And the doctor didn't think anything of it, but my, it didn't register in my mom's brain. And then she was like, now she's like, Oh, yeah. Huh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was told back then. Yeah. Or the fact that, like, my dad's entire family speaks a language that she doesn't know and isn't European. <laughs> so, like, growing up, to answer your question, growing up, there wasn't really this, like, mesh of cultures that was very intentional. It did just happen kind of organically because no one was like, we need to make sure that these right. kids are both like proud of their Palestinianism and proud of their Italianism. Like it's just yeah. any meshing that happened was organic and kind of like accidental, I think. Which I think is beautiful in and of itself. It's definitely one way to go. And I, it's not a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, a beautiful mix of cultures that really, I mean, happened unintentionally and organically in your own home. And I think that that is pretty incredible. But that also explains why you didn't have conversations with your, your parents about when the world happened to you and you were questioned about your, your race because your mom was unaware. Was your dad? Did he? You know, he wasn't born here. You know, he's an immigrant and oh my God, the way he came here is crazy too. But that's a story for a different time. But, right. <laughs> you know, he wasn't born here. And I think, like, while he knew that, like, he was treated differently than the average American, I think he chalked it up to, I'm an immigrant, I have an accent, I don't speak the language fluently. I think he assumed that the things that he had to experience, his kids wouldn't experience. It probably wasn't until my brother, like, hit puberty and just started to look so Arab. Like, if you could just, like, close your eyes and picture the most stereotypical Arab-looking guy, that's my brother. And so I think that's when my dad was like, oh, Kareem might have a hard time. Plus, his name is Kareem. Like, 
Kareem. Oh, I love that name. I do too. It's a beautiful name, but it's Arab as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And both of my parents, they wanted Arab names for their kids. So, yeah. Is, I didn't know Sophia. Uh, You know, it's technically not an Arab name. I think its origin is actually Greek, but because it's such a, it's a name that has crossed across so many cultures, including Arabic culture. It was, it's a name that worked very well. And all of the first cousins who are first born, their name starts with an S. So my dad was like, we got to keep that tradition alive. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's so funny though. Okay. So my mom and dad were like, okay, what are we going to name this kid? Like it's a girl. We got to name her an S name. And my mom was like, Serafina. My dad was like, what the fuck? Or Serena. (laughs) My dad was like, what the fuck? And then my mom, like she got, she saw the name Sophia somewhere and she was like, that's it. Like, that's the name. Like, I'm naming my daughter that. There's no, there's no conversation to yeah. be had. So she was like, how can I convince Talal to go with Sophia? And so she's, like, trying to figure it out. She's like, okay, I'm going to just, like, present him the name and tell him I feel very strongly about it. And it does work in the Arab culture. And so she, like, goes to my dad and she says, I would love to name the baby Sophia. And my dad goes, okay, how, how would we spell it? And my mom says, S-O-P-H-I-A. And my dad's like, no, never. <laughs> because English isn't his first language. And he's like, that just doesn't make any sense to right. me. So, so yeah. They, yeah, exactly. He was like, why would you use a P-H? That, that, is, not, that is so weird. And she, she's like, that's how you spell it. And he's like, no, not in Arabic. It's not. So they, they went with the F. But okay. that's just like... That's just, like, another thing that, like, it wouldn't have happened in, like, a white household. Right. But in a multicultural yeah. household, that is that is funny. At least they agreed. It was just the, the spelling that had to be yeah. refined. Exactly. <laughs> a good compromise, if you yes. will. And I love your name. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. I hated it for the longest. I was so mad at my parents for naming me Sophia for years. As Why? A kid. And now I'm, uh, just one of those names that you can easily make fun of. Uh, you know, Sofa. Or uh, I have yeah. really curly hair. So people called me Poofia. Like Poofy hair. Oh, poor thing. I know. so cruel. They're evil. They I don't understand yeah. what happens to these kids <laughs> to make them such pieces of shit. <laughs> but now as an adult, I'm like, I'm a Sophia. I can't even picture myself with another no, name. No, <laughs> <laughs> Good, as you should. It's a beautiful name, and you, you, you own it beautifully. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so not that I love talking about hair, but I do want to, I do want to talk about, about hair with you because we both have curly hair. Crazy ass hair. <laughs> Crazy ass hair that's wild and has a mind of its own. Was that something that was difficult for you growing up? It does your mom have curly hair? And yeah, both of both of my parents have very curly hair. Okay. So there was no there was no chance for me. <laughs> um my dad's hair. It's arguably closer to an afro. You know, when my dad first came to the United States, 
he because there was no Arabs and people didn't really know what it was, he just told everyone he was black and he passed for black because it was easier for him to be black than to be Arab. Yeah. So, yeah, and Palestine literally touches Africa. Like, right. it kind of just yeah. makes sense. It's just, but it's easy. Yeah, exactly. It was easy. And I don't I don't know how problematic that would be today, but in the 80s, it was fine. Right. In the right. 80s? Early 80s. He came okay. here in 1980. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, he definitely has, like, an afro. Okay. Um, and my mom, she has, like, very soft, like, Shirley Temple curls. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so my hair's, like, kind of in the middle. I have, like, a very coarse hair, but it is spirally. Okay. So, um, it's really, I, I'm, quite, I'm quite a fan of my hair, Good. but I wasn't for a long time, girl. You know how ask. it is. I was going to ask if you had been, because... I wasn't for a long time and I didn't Mm -hmm. know if that was something that you struggled with, with your identity growing up at all or. Yeah. What do I think? Okay. So like all of elementary school, I like kind of just let my mom deal with my hair. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it myself as a kid. And, you know, to her credit, she really tried. (laughs) She really tried. But like, she didn't know what she was doing either with with hair. Like, why aren't you like, what the is wrong with this because she has so much hair and I have so much hair like I have five times more hair than my mother does that's amazing how thick it is how many strands and like it hasn't thinned I'm waiting for it to kind of calm down but we'll see (laughs) and and I think the texture has kind of softened as I've aged but as a kid it was like it was very like coily kinky hair and it was very frizzy she didn't know how to control it so I just kind of like walked around this world with a frizz And then I think it was in, like, the seventh or eighth grade that she finally caved and was like, you can straighten your hair. And that's when the straightening of the curls started. And that was probably in 2003, maybe? 2003, 2004? So, like, if you can think back to, like, the the year, you know, what was was in trend? Right. It was not... It was not Blonde the eighties, the eighties perm. <laughs> that no, was... it was it was cute blonde was white girls with like blue eyes and like thick straight hair, right. and that's what I wanted. And like nobody looked me in the eye and said, "You will never have that." <laughs> right, that's what I wanted. And so of yeah, course. I straightened my hair from like the seventh grade all the way till my junior year of high school. Okay, but. Girl, it takes me so long to straighten my hair. I it always has. It's a it's a four hour event yeah. to straighten yep. my hair. Yes. And um, oh no, I remember the first time I ever straightened my hair. My friend Myla, the black girl, took yes. me to a black girl salon and they hot combed my hair, yeah. and it looked so good. It was so pretty. Oh, they you know those hot combs. Oh, they. Just oh yeah. Fucking hot. Yeah. And, <laughs> And it was like virgin hair. Nothing had ever been done to it before. So yeah. it was still very healthy. Absolutely. It, just, it, was, it was gorgeous. And it was the first time anyone had ever seen me without like crazy frizz. Yeah. And so everybody, especially like my white aunts, were like, oh my God, it looks so good. Yeah. Like, her hair should look like this all the time. Did you so, feel yeah. that that made you feel any different? as you navigated life 
did you feel like mm, you could identify or fit in or did it change the way you felt about yourself and how you interacted in the world? It's a really, really good question. And I'm inclined to say no. I'm inclined to say I just wanted to look like everybody else and like blend in and not stand out. But I don't think I knew that that's what I was doing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I was like, oh, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to look Arab. I think I just was like, everybody has straight hair. Why can't (laughs) And my hair, and I I was convinced for a long time that I had bad hair. Like, you know, the trope of, like, bad curls because it was so frizzy and poofy. Yes. Um, and, that, and then I realized as I got older, like, no, bitch, you just need to learn how to take care of it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, all through, like, out high school and stuff, I just was convinced I had bad hair. And, like, straightening it would make it better. So, very stereotypical. You know, we've, we, all, we all know the well, story. It, so, I don't think that that is something that especially up until recently, really, we or our parents have learned how to, how to navigate is mixed hair. It's, it's different on everybody. And oftentimes it is curly and it is coarse. And as a child, I, I went through the same thing. I had curly hair, my mom would brush it. And so it was just Yep. <laughs> why don't you just brush your hair like do you want to know why I'll show you why <laughs> oh, no, it's crazy but now I'm learning that there are companies out there that make product for biracial hair have you come across any I've tried um I forget what it's called but it's Tracy Ellis Ross's hair care line okay so far I'm impressed with the product but I I haven't been using them long enough to really be like, yes, right. I swear by this. But so far, I think it's good. I know that Mixed Chicks was, uh, like, really popular for a while. But I've also heard that they got bought out and, like, That's now so it's tricky. being made by non-mixed people and right. blah, blah, blah. So I don't really know. Um, I... I also like this product called um, Bounce Curl, and it's made by an Arab girl. So, like, if any of your listeners are Arab and they're looking for a hair product that might work for them, like, I really like Bounce Curl. Um, Yeah, it's just finding the right product and the right way to style my hair for me to realize, like, I don't have bad hair. I actually have incredible hair. I get compliments on my hair literally every single day, and there's like a low key part of me that's like, God, I would kill to have straight, shiny black hair. Cause I think that I, listen, I put a straight, shiny black wig on my head and I know I have the cheekbones for like a bob and I know it would look good, but I, I would get, re- I would be really sad if I didn't get compliments on my hair all the time. I'd miss them. So. Well, honestly, I think that that is beautiful that you have learned to embrace that part of you, I, I recently also have, and it just, it feels so good. I'm like, oh my God, how many years, how many hours, how much electricity have I used to make my hair what it isn't? And oh, the damage. and Absolutely. And to now rock it on its good days and its bad days is very, I don't know, it's empowering. And I'm, and I'm really happy that you have. And there's also this like, 
embrace the crawl movement happening, which, yeah. you know, I, I'm so happy to see it, but like 10, 15 years ago, that was not a thing. There was no embrace the curl. In no. fact, one of the things that my dad did when I was very young, I was probably maybe like 12. What a dad. He's so sweet. I love my parents. They're my favorite people in the world. I, can tell you too. I really do. He went to like a predominantly black neighborhood and he walks into a salon and he pulled out a printed picture out of it, out of his wallet. And he showed the girl there and he said, this is my daughter. What can I buy for her hair? And she helped him purchase so much stuff. There was, there was picking combs. There was like a rat tail comb. There was deep conditioners. There was moisturizing. There was oils. There was so much stuff. And it was like my Christmas gift because he was like, "I, I bought all this stuff for your hair. And I remember... Like, my mom, when I opened it and she saw that, I was like, oh, my God, all this hair stuff. Like, my mom cried. She was like, my husband did this for my daughter. That like, is so unbelievably sweet. It was a really special thing that he did. He's a he's a great man. A great man. That's amazing. Well, Sophia, it was such a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for sharing all of your, your stories and, and life intricacies and it man it has honestly been a pleasure to get to know you and I really appreciate your time thank you so much I had such a blast talking about this kind of stuff with you I just I think we all need to have more conversations like this especially when it comes to people who exist in a middle space like we do because with how much division there is in the world like it's people like us who can have a kind of like this view of both sides in our own existence we can really like bring the world together and I just that's what I hope for absolutely one one final question what is it that you would like to share with the world wow that's a big question (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't really have too much to do with the conversation that we've been having it's just kind of like this mantra that I've led with for the past few years actually ever since COVID, but I just think that people, all of us, should do whatever we have to do to be in control of our own lives. I have lived so much of my life with other people dictating who I am, telling me what I should do, you know, aside from all this, you know, like dealing with abuse and assault and racism and stuff like that, like so much of my power has been taken away from me that I have refused to allow it to ever happen again, and I don't want to see anybody ever have their power taken from them. And so my mantra and the thing I encourage everybody to do is just like live a life that you're in control of and do what you have to do to make that happen. I'm crying. Sophia, that's- No, don't cry. Don't cry. (laughs) That is absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. You are a beautiful human being inside and out. And thank you for sharing your story with the world. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. (laughs) Yeah, anytime. (laughs) (laughs) we hope you enjoyed today's episode we want to be here for you and we can't do what we're doing without your support please hit subscribe and to stay up to date head on over to mixmovement.com that's m-i-x-d-m-o-v-e-m-e-n-t.com to stay up to date with news and more we are the mixed movement See you next time.